When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What's good, Internet? It's month day, and you are listening to Waypoint episode <laughs> check number. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. I thought you were just Patrick saying Clubbett. Monday weird. <laughs> I think you should just keep going to Kato first because you catch off guard. I'd say like one out of three podcasts. Yeah, it's true. Constantly. It's, it's, I'm constantly like spontaneity. <laughs> it's the magic. Ah, Got to speak into this microphone for two hours. Who could say? And Renata Price. For a little peek behind the curtain, this is what we in the industry call top of the minute energy. When Rob has us clap at the top of the minute and really bring some <laughs> bring some pizzazz into the podcast, like, you know, like a Dragon Ball thing. Like he needed to gather his energy so he could throw it back to us as he as he began the podcast. Patrick, it's Monday, publishing on Tuesday, and I just have one question for it's you: It's month day. Is E three back? <laughs> uh... I don't know, but they they have announced their uh, the first details of uh, the new show, which has been now it's uh, you know sold in partnership with Reed Pop. I forget exactly how the logistically that went down from a business perspective, but um, they are taking over running it. Uh, Reed Pop, who is known for more or less, if you've been to a convention, you've probably been to a Reed Pop convention. Um, Maybe you used to go to a convention; it was really cool. And Reed Pop also thought it was really cool and bought <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, look, for, uh, they seem to do a pretty decent job yeah. of like running running shows um, um, that people want to go to, uh, and they're going to try and reboot E3. And while we don't know exactly how all that's going to turn out, one thing that is interesting is they are going to return E3 next year as uh, sort of a split show um, in which there are business days and then like fan, consumer, however you want to, whatever parlance you want to use, um, uh, which is similar to what Gamescom has done. At least in the past, I went to one Gamescom like 13 years ago. And I believe this is still how they do it, where there are sort of days for uh, press executives, like sort of like folks that work within the industry to attend the show. And then there are days where fans uh, also mingle in there. Um, and then the, the idea is, well, for people who want to get meetings done, doesn't it make more sense to do that on days that are exclusively sort of focused on that and then let the fans show up and, and do that part of the show? I think it is probably uh, I don't know if it, it saves the show. It's it's an interesting uh, approach. Uh, business days being successful requires that people show up to E3. And I don't mean fans. I think you can run a fan centric video game show pretty easily, but enough to that like Rob and I are going to sit down and look at our track, like our budget and go is Waypoint going to go to something like this? I, you know, I, I don't know where this ends up landing, but uh, it at least makes it more attractive as well that you'd be able to get all that done at a show, you know, in two days or whatever. It looks like they've got a plan where, uh, so yes, these biz days will be three days before the public part of the show, but it looks like there's one crossover day. 
Um, yeah, like and they're the, also the apparently like half the convention center is going to be, uh, according to this Video Games uh, Chronicle article, uh, half of the LA Convention Center will be dedicated to this, which I believe is also with the Gamescom. Done. Like Gamescom has a section that is not even that's like, not even where fans would eventually go. It's like it's strictly sort of booths and meeting rooms that are are exclusively for. Um, you know, press partners to to show up for and, to, and take meetings. And it sounds like, I mean, <laughs> E3, uh, as it declined, just wasn't filling the space at the LA Convention Center. There would just be giant, even though they were adding bars everywhere, that wasn't enough. There were still just huge patches of <laughs> essentially farmland that you could grow, you could start your own business on. And so I think part of what's happening here is like, what if we, like, I distinctly remember going to see a meeting to go see Psychonauts 2 at, like, Double Fines uh, at one of the last E3s I attended. And just everything to the left was just empty convention floor. Just, just absolutely nothing. See, I think next time they should have uh, just advertised those spots. And then, like, all the indie games can, like, fight over them. You know? Just bring your own oh. tables. <laughs> rogue rogue booths Kato being set up let in the them, middle. Kato says let them fight. Yeah. Uh, hey, you can fit an octagon in there. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you could. Absolutely. You could. There was enough space for sure. Uh, use the business days to be like, hey, who wants coverage? Who wants it more? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, well, clearly they 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 had to do something, but I, I do think it's going to be... Do we have any word on like who's bought in on this who's going like has anyone said like we're excited about this to like yeah we're gonna hold announcements for this this newfangled e3 because that's really the big thing right like a lot of the stakeholders um have seem quite comfortable with sort of the new world of you have the platform holders uh showcases but then you can also do your own thing or there's there's other showcases that you can you can uh take part in and it seems like a lot of a lot of people who would have been like linchpins of E3 seem quite comfortable with sort of this this new normal that's cropped up uh, post COVID. Plus, you know, you have the the weird falling out with with Keeley, uh, who's who's got that date circle on the calendar uh, to be well, like, you know, it, every re, December re, spite yeah. Konami, every June spite E3. Yeah. Well, in theory, if the ESA is not involved, there is potentially a world like I would not be. Do you get enough money involved? Like it, it would be beneficial to Keeley to have E3 near it, even if they were not the same event. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the notion that they, it is better for him to have his own thing that can get bigger while also drafting off like the amount of money that would be invested in promoting E3, getting people out. Especially if you imagine Keeley doing some sort of thing that had a pseudo fan uh, facing presence. Um, there is a scenario where all 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 boats are lifted uh, from that, and especially if he can say, well, I contributed to the ESA essentially having to cry uncle and give the convention to somebody else. That's 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 a victory if that's how you want to if you want to view it. Um, but I don't know. I Like selfishly, I want an excuse to see people again. And so I would like I would really like it if E3 could justify the books and like make it so that we could go out for probably not an entire week, but three days would be awesome i i would like pax doesn't make sense for that any anymore but e3 is like the one major event where i just don't see that many industry people anymore and it sucks and uh i, I would like I, I would like e3 to be relevant so that i could go is what I, i'm begging e3 <laughs> to not fuck this up one day i'll see someone other than my direct co-workers maybe mm-hmm. one day 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even then, that's rarely in person, right? And so, uh, I don't know. Well, it's I'm, I guess I'm I'm weird. Like, you know, I, I'm still uh, you know E3. Please don't uh, dox me again. But I'm also rooting for <laughs> uh, a, a reason to be like around colleagues again. So I find myself in a in an odd position. But it seems like they're they're checking the right boxes. Whether that, but again, like you said, Rob, it's it's a matter of who shows up and with what, and can E3 essentially convince all the publishers to do enough around that week, even if they still want to do their big things separately. I think it's, I think it's possible. Um, the question would just be whether that is still something that ultimately like from our perspective makes more sense to still cover remotely than it does to do anything in person. I think there's a, there's a pretty decent chance that they put together a successful E3 that still doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to go to and cover in person, but I don't know. I would like to be wrong. I can see us go like I think the first one is probably an easy like right. You can like we have There's to see what the new factor. E3 is. Yeah, we have to see what it is. That's easier to sell. I think year two is kind of going to be <laughs> the uh, okay. Like now, who is willing to follow this through? Who wants to suit up for this again? Come on, Taco Bell of- sponsor Waypoint going to E3. <laughs> like, let's go! Oh my god! Think about all the gordita crunches we can. I need it every day. I'll do what I, whatever I need to do. Taco Bell is fine. <laughs> Wait, every day. Well, there could be options. It could be breakfast food. Kata, Kata's rubbing their hands. No, like no, every opposite, day, opposite side. Oh, really? There's, yeah. there's limits? That, it's definitely a, I will have a ton of Taco Bell one day and then probably not eat it for like months after oh, that. I'll, I, I will grow thousands of invisible wasps in my house, but I yeah. won't eat Taco Bell more than one day in the a row. Invisible wasps the invisible Here's the thing I learned actually uh, doing even more... Like reading about to try the and invisible justify your position. Oh, no, I'm, not, I'm under assault asking, on the internet. People were a lot of people online were like, "This sounds great." Uh, that would added me at least. A lot of, uh, a lot of people, <laughs> yeah. invisible wasps. And my, I'm growing thousands look. of invisible ma- uh, wasps. Shirt is uh, inviting questions about my. <laughs> sorry. The, oh, the, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Rob doesn't. Rob doesn't know. Kato is growing thousands of invisible wasps in mm-hmm. their home to yep. help with the moth infestation they yeah. have found themselves. I need uh, so they they I come on these little tabs. On the invisible. I need clarity on the invisible. They're so thing. small you can't see the wasps. Yeah, uh, Kato, you see these little grains. Was, yeah, these little grains on this uh, on this little paper tab. Yeah, those are all like tiny eggs, uh, and out of the tiny eggs come little wasps that are. Too small to see with the naked eye. Normally, you got a little, mm-hmm. you got to take a little loop in order to like view them. I, uh, uh, when reading things to like answer some questions that people had online, uh, I actually oh, learned yeah. that they are uh, people. Uh-huh, <laughs> they, people. They, they, um, they're very bad at flying. Actually, so they mostly just kind of crawl around, which I think is better. It's less oh, likely that, what that a you'll, great, what a great, it's what less great, likely that you, that's so much better. <laughs> it's less likely that you'll yeah, be the one in on so accident. Uh, Everyone's favorite thing about bugs is when they move around and make a also, foot let's to be skin. Clear. You may have found cute. You may have found this, but you, your your moral ethical justification earlier was you are constantly breathing in other things that oh, we yeah, don't see. Absolutely. What's the big deal with thousands of invisible wafts that I'm purposely breeding in 100%. my closet and it's- not telling people when they're invited <laughs> over, like Ren, that they're huffing thousands of invisible wafts like- as we discovered the timelines. <laughs> Wait. Thousands is a lot. Yeah. Ren, were you involuntarily hot boxed with invisible wasps? <laughs> I was I was wasp boxed, it's true. Um without my without my knowledge, I was wasp boxed. Do you feel like you would have withheld for consent for that had you been properly informed? 
I mean, I trust Cotto uh, and a mouth. Um, yeah, no, that's I, the right response. Uh, I think that um, th- I would have trusted to go into their home. I would have said, Cot- if Cotto had said, Ren, my house is full of invisible wasps, I would have said to Cotto, Cotto, I, I care for you deeply. You're a dear friend. Haunted. I will come into your house one time, but if I have a single one, if I if a if a wasp encounter registers, mm-hmm. I'm never crossing these premises. This ever is again. the great thing. You would never it would never register. They're too small for so, encounters to register. I feel like if the, if the eggs are in that little honeycomb type thing, though, that little artificial honeycomb thing, mm-hmm. I feel like whatever hatches is going to be visible. Like I'll see the little specks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean if you're watching, but like like a little mite, like on a plant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely like notice yeah. them moving around at first if you're so, like looking at them as they're hatching, but like I feel like you this like was, hang this somewhere and then you don't notice it. Because I feel it's like just, I like, imagine this. I feel like there was a there's been like always been research in like using other creatures for pest control. Um mm. rather, like obviously like you have the, the example of like mousers, uh, you know, cats being used to like uh you know chase mice off and, and and kill them but like that even even with things like uh you know things like monster cockroaches there's there've been attempts to try to be like what, what how can we harness natural enemies and natural predators uh to get rid of these things without like chemical bombing our our home uh but i also feel like it would have caught on more by now if it really worked that well here's here's my counterpoint here's my counterpoint rob you know who is the most efficient ant killer in your fucking home? There are no traps. It is the little spiders mm-hmm. that live in your home. They are ant killing machines. Yeah. Like I, my my apartment did have an ant problem for a while there, and we set up <sighs> traps all around the place. Uh, and I will say that the KD ratio uh, on the traps versus the one spider in the corner of our bathroom, it, it was astounding. The spider was carrying the entire yeah. team. It was it was kind of it was kind of incredible. Um, and despite me being a huge arachnophobe, I have chosen to enter into yeah. a truce with the spiders. Uh, <laughs> just gotta stay in the corner. That's cool. Just stay up there. We're 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 this good. Is, we the wasps are even better. You would never see them. You can see a spider. You can't see these fucking wasps. I I would rather see the wasps and have know, know what's going on around. You me. know what? I'm excited by this. I like <laughs> Kato. This you. is cool. Mm-hmm. Thank I you. dig this. Look, look. The Smith. If it's good enough for the historic British mansion that's got a moth problem and they're trying to save their tapestries, this is a article it's from good the when you're randomly googling news articles <laughs> to just paste into the group chat. Like, this this no, no, year. no, no. I'm good. I'm normal. Um, I like if I had something like this to deal with the mice that are all over my building, I would be so thrilled. It's called a cat. Uh, get a just, single like, cat. It's called a cat because cats cats don't need to kill the mice. That's that's the key you know that what? I learned Here's about the, cat he, keeping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. need to kill the mice because the the mice smell the cat and they're like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Literally, which we is were... why if my landlord presses me on me getting cats, I'm gonna be like, motherfucker, we had a mouse infestation. I am doing you a favor. This yeah. entire building is secured by my sacrifice by having these cute little babies. There were a couple yeah, mice. I can't. I can't be. I can't bother Mina with a cat. <laughs> That's fair. Like I, is, we had a couple mice home. when we like moved into this place, and then they kind of instantly disappeared because we brought a cat with us, and then that cat unfortunately died, and then the mice came back, and like the second we yeah. got our newest uh, Una, 
so they were gone again. It's just I've also seen I've also seen the cat thing be way overstated. Like our old roommates had two cats and the mice did not care at all because they're like, you're ineffective. We know like we know you're ineffective. Uh, And so we're just going to ignore it. Like, yeah, you smell like a cat. Good for you. Uh, I'm going to go where you can't. And there's nothing you can do about it. You you can sit there in the middle of the kitchen all you want. uh, Looking at the last place you saw me. I'll be somewhere else. Living (laughs) my my best mouse life. I mean, Rob, you didn't tell us that that you were dealing with Chad mice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'm pretty sure we got. That's an important uh, distinction. You're dealing with Chad mice. Isn't that the brain worms working? What is it called? The toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis. Yeah, that what happens sometimes humans. when the mice the mice stop caring, but then your cat is oh, supposed to catch yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, no. See, I think I think I, yeah, these mice. I've seen I I've seen what appear to be like uh, plasmosis is uh, plasmosis mice. Uh, yeah, and like that behavior is different and weird. Uh, uh, these mice were genuinely like. You're a solved problem, um, and so I <laughs> we was, do not care I was quite, about you. I was quite disappointed. Wow. Uh, so, I guess uh, speaking of predators brought in to ferret out little intruders, <laughs> Patrick, uh, mm. the GTA leaker. Yeah. What what's what's happened there? What's going to happen to the GTA leaker? Well, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that. Um, but the London police announced they arrested a 17-year-old hacker uh, last week. They haven't explicitly confirmed why, but there have been news reports that it is related to the Grand Theft Auto leak. There were Rockstar, I believe, uh, mentioned, or there was something came out that, like, you know, there were the FBI was investigating. It seemed not long before somebody was brought in uh, related to this, and so... Um, we don't, you know, I don't think that this, the kid has been formally charged yet. It's, it's all sort of going through the early parts of the legal system, but, uh, early indications are maybe some of the excited writing we saw attached to some of the videos (laughs) were maybe more in the, and, and why this wasn't a more coordinated campaign to expose, uh, worker abuses within Rockstar Games. When you say a 17 year old hacker, uh, Albeit, well, it's hard to tell if they are actually are talented because both the Uber and Rockstar things were Slack exploits as opposed to um, navigating, you know, a server infrastructure infrastructure. So could just be like a long form version of clever reverse engineering um, uh, or social engineering uh, that we see pretty commonly. I mean, that's uh, like 90 percent of hacking these days, honestly. Is yeah, like, that's true. You get that information just, you're in. <laughs> For sure. Um, but uh, yeah, if we, if we take this at face value that it's a 17 year old uh, more, trying to look cool. Um, more, uh, that was that was in a, that was certainly within the realm of possibility when we were talking about that before. Um, and there were some real red flags on the way the the text was written that had strong young person trying to write vibes. <laughs> and, and, and so <laughs> it, uh, it, it may be the case that is that is where we've. Uh, and it ended up with this. Uh, but at the same time, it's also like that feels like that happened a month ago. Um, and and uh, part of what we were saying uh, in terms of what are the long term ramifications of all of this? I, I don't you know, uh, hard to say, if, you know, I'm not on the team, haven't talked to anyone on, that works on that team. But our news cycles are so fast that even as something that could be properly construed as the biggest video game leak in video game history, 
seems to have happened ages ago. That was three ministries ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah, For sure. Uh, so I'm playing a few games. I wasn't here last week, so I'll, I'll check in on what I've been up to, uh, lately. So if you know me, you know, I love me the crunchy, historically accurate, uh, like military shooter. Uh, it's true. He does. And so I've been playing a little game called Isanzo. And oh, this is this game. Does the, did you? Yes, I, this is the game that I sent pass along to you, yeah. Rob. Yes, I I got, I got a press release and I was like, wow, this got sent to the wrong person. This is Rob Bait. <laughs> this, I'm gonna this give is this the to Rob. Third of these games, they did uh, a game called Verdun and they did Tannenberg, and now we're on Asanzo. And Asanzo is exciting because, um, you know, the the Italian front world war one doesn't get, doesn't get enough attention. Uh, it's a it's a gnarly little front uh, because if you think boy attacking over the Alps seems hard, you'd be right, which is pretty much why <laughs> uh, like it's pretty much why like hundreds of thousands of people died uh, to like fail to advance or move a line uh, more than like a mile across four years. Um and Jesus. why Italy like <laughs> Italy was a new sounds formed- like a fun game to play. <laughs> We're going to get to that, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> also, topical. You can draw a pretty direct line from the uh, from the failed the failed invasion of Austria-Hungary uh, by Italy uh, to the rise of Italian fascism. Like oh, the right. fact that, that like Italy yeah, is a new, really, a new country. Uh, did did that shitty woman win? Did like the vote? Did the I don't think she's won yet, but it's like the exit polling looks pretty decisive. Well, when you have the New like York Gavin. Times doing fawning uh, photography profiles, you know that things are are heading in the right direction. Yeah, it's uh, look. The Times just wants to understand other points of view. You got to make sure um, the fascist has uh, a really cool photo uh, mm-hmm. to go alongside with your lead. That's just yeah. that's just the way of things. Uh, but yeah, so like, uh, so this, this campaign is sort of historically infamous, uh, and just nightmare conditions as you can imagine, cause like tons of it is being fought at high altitude in places you can't even entrench. Uh, you're, you're just running around like slabs of granite, um, <laughs> and getting mowed down. Anyway, yeah. Run. I was gonna say that I'm watching footage of this looks sick. Like visually, these trailers look sick. I'm, I'm guessing that the game doesn't live up to it. It really depends on what you are signing up for. That is the thing. You've sort of touched on it. So, Isanzo, the spirit of Battlefield 1 is alive and well in Isanzo. <laughs> um, like, looks great. The sense of place on some of these maps is incredible. Fighting across these, like, alpine, like, mountaintops and valleys. Dizzying. Uh, the the quality of the light in the game is is really well done. Uh, it's, it's really different from a lot of, uh, a lot of military shooters you, you've seen. It is like an entire game made out of, uh, the map in Battlefield 1 was it like Monta, Monta Grappa or something. Um, but it's it, the impossible one with like the, the two central bunkers, uh, that was just like that, that were un, that were uncapturable. That's all cool. There's a couple things that, like I've laid out, this is a this, like it's World War One, and it's like the like one of the toughest fronts of World War One, and so the the vibe of this game is an awful lot of you spawn, 
you run through your trench line to the place where you can start advancing on the enemy trench line. You run out of your trench line. You take like 30 steps and you get got. And you have no idea where that came from. None whatsoever. Uh, maybe you stop and you start trying to be like, where are these shots even coming from? No idea. Uh, you are like the people with rifles are firing from so far away that they are literally like a pixel or two wide somewhere on your screen. Uh, just like blazing away at the at the places where your where your team is sort of filtering out of its out of its trenches. Uh, there is almost a gleeful indifference to like, is this a good way for the match to open? Is this is this a fun first objective to take? Sanzo in many ways does not seem to care, which I kind of admire, but also is kind of jaw dropping uh, to experience. There's one mission where like the first position you start in, you're you're spawning like trench basically. You are at the foot of a giant, uh, like a, a giant, like a giant shale hillside. Literally, the defending side, I think it's the Austrians, are staring down this hill into your spawn. Clear lanes of fire. And you, like you have trenches, you have like firing loops, but like importantly, they don't pr- provide even full cover. Like you are basically can be hittable almost anywhere. Uh and from there, you got to make your way out of this and start like shimmy, shimmy shallying up the the the, the shale, the shale slide uh, on their like hilltop strongholds. And playing this math, like every time I play it, it's like the first 15 minutes of the match are just you spawning, you getting mowed down in your spawn trench or like two steps outside Uh you you like you have no idea like where you're getting hit from whatever but i will say like is is as goofy as all it is when it starts to break the other way when the team starts to like just like grab its little fingernails into small positions where people can start like collecting themselves and getting like decent firing points from it feels really cool as the like structure of the map starts to like bend toward the team that's been getting massacred the entire time. That feels awesome. I was going to say, did you have any instances where you were the one guy who made it through the charge? Um, and, and does that feeling land where you're like, Oh fuck, everyone I was with just got, got, but I am in a new position that I can actually do something from. Uh, and now I have to kind of support the next wave coming. You in. get that feeling a fair bit, which is kind of the cool thing. But like one one match on that map, um, there's one time where I basically we like people were making a direct assault on this like uh command post on a like outcropping on this on this ridge line. And if you're attacking directly at the outpost, uh it's a pretty steep climb. Um mm-hmm. and it's pretty it's pretty tough to take. But so there was a point where I had wandered off to the left flank and there's an objective you can attack over there, but I managed to sort of like sneak my way around to this position. Um, I couldn't advance. I could hear everyone continuing to attack the left flank objective. They were going over this little like, uh, like Rocky, uh, like rock pile. Mm-hmm. And I could just hear them dying on the other side. Like they would go over and you just hear people getting, all that shit so i'm like i'm not going over there i'm gonna belly up but i realized once i did that and i faced back east i had a firing lane on the command post 
that everyone was trying to take on the right flank. And so from there, I'm like, nobody knows I'm here. Um, I actually am able to shoot the reinforcement line uh, to that command post. And so I'm just standing there, you know, 70 rounds of ammunition and starting to plink away uh, at these guys. And I can see like the entire attack unfolding where like, you know, guys like waves of dudes, like waves of little specks, basically wearing my side's uniforms are running up this hill. (laughs) And I am like plinking little specks that are wearing the other uniform and bit by bit. I'm like, Oh, like I'm, I'm actually like, because I'm here now, they couldn't man a really important, uh, like trench that was blocking one of the little paths up into the command post. And so now I'm seeing my team make their way in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're, you're providing fire support that way. And like, you know, the attackers are getting closer and closer. And then cool stuff happens. Like, you know, you start seeing grenades being tossed in and now the entire place is just, uh, blown the hell apart but you know the the things that are really there to break the stalemates uh is the ability for officers to call in things like air raids uh where you'll you'll have uh flights of bombers come in and just carpet bomb uh like a small a small area or maybe more more importantly um for like just making it hard to pile more dudes into uh a uh an advantageous firing position uh it's things like uh like poison gas um where where you'll have sides like deploying like thick clouds of phosgene or something like that uh, which is like this this eerie green gas and one like everyone has to put on gas masks to deal with it so you get the like impeded field of view right. uh, effect when when that's in play <laughs> and two it's like unlike just calling in smoke rounds which is like totally dense and you can't see through it at all the chemical weapons are a little more, you can see there's a little more like visibility within them, but it's still pretty bad. And so like when there's gas deployed, people tend to not like to run into it because like you, you have so such poor situational awareness from like the lack of sight and the fact you're wearing masks. So the thing that really tends to bust up these stalemates is the, well, once this match runs a little bit, we're going to be able to call in, um, you know, massive like area denial uh, supers or we'll be able to call in like airstrikes um, or the team will like use its mortars, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there's a lot of that in play. I haven't played around the officer stuff too much. Um, so I don't fully know how the mechanics of that are working. Uh, but it, like it, it seems like a thing you can bank. Like I've seen, like I've definitely seen like back to back airstrikes launched. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does not seem like it's totally on a cooldown. Uh, that's team wide. It might be like officer wide. Uh, I have a. Oh, please, Kato. I was just gonna ask, how do you feel the like accuracy of the weapons kind of compares to um the other that other game we were playing? Oh my god, Hell Let Loose. Hell Let Loose. Yeah, because yeah, I feel uh, like how do you the pink the plinking of tiny specks is not necessarily a thing that you could reliably do in hell let loose like there was enough variance in the bullet travel that you there was a it was closer range in general so yes no i i you've you've put your (laughs) finger right on it uh i think one of the things that's weird about this game is on the one hand it's like history Mm -hmm. vibes etc and on the other hand there feels like there's such a strong undercurrent of (laughs) for gamers (laughs) And so it's like we like we made a game with eight different flavors of hit scan bolt action rifles. <laughs> and 
Oh, they're hit scan. That's how they feel. I can't. Mm. I haven't done like I need to go stand somewhere off in a match and uh-huh. like just like plink a target and see if there's bullet drop. Right. Uh, but to me, it does not feel like there is. Like every time oh, I've, I've I've been trying to compensate for ranges, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm missing. But like the minute I lean into pretend it's an op, uh, suddenly bam, people yeah. just dropping. Done. Wow. Um, and that's yeah, wild. And so. And yeah, that's that's one of the things is like I'm a sucker for the friction of weapons that do feel like loose the way these things are. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm actually looking at it right now. Um, I'm looking at a, a dev blog. Um, the thing that they say is that the game does have bullet drop. Um, here's the here's the here's the write up. Bullet drop is also a factor in Asanzo, but given typical engagement ranges and the high muzzle velocities for most of the weapons in game, you likely won't notice it very often. For you snipers at the back of the map, you may need to adjust your sights to hit perfect headshots over long distances. Uh, I've actually spent a lot of time calibrating my brain for this recently because I'm playing a lot of Hunt, uh, Hunt Showdown with Galt, and I now, whenever I play Hunt, I have a map on my second monitor that shows the entire game map in 50 by 50 grids, mm-hmm. uh, 50, 50 meter by 50 meter grids. So I can accurately estimate distances because the muzzle velocities in that game are low enough where you are always going to be feeling yes. uh, travel time and bullet drop. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if I'm actually curious and I'm going to, I'm going to do some research now, but I want to, I wonder if the, if the jump in muzzle velocity between the late uh, 19th century and world war one is significant it's enough. It's pretty huge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Then, because yeah, because like I will say, this is sort of the golden age of the bolt action rifle, um, where these things are very long range, very accurate. Uh, so I, I get, I can see it, mm-hmm. but man, even but the thing is, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying like, I'm sitting there with a bolt action and I'm hitting a pixel. Right. I don't know what that translates to in range, but it feels far. Right. Right. Here's and the thing. like every like it just it nails them if you can see a pixel someone is closer than you think i know um that is the thing about that is the other thing i've learned about distances is that like everything is way way closer than you think in terms of like meters so like chances are if you can see someone at the very very edge of your vision uh in a game like this you are looking at someone who is at best 100 meters away uh, and at that point, if you're firing a rifle with 830 meters per second of yeah. muzzle velocity, yeah. you are going to be landing that shot uh, if it's shot over 100 meters. I think I think one of the things that I, I'm trying to get here to, though, is the like the fact that I noticed it in Hell Let's uh, Hell Hell Let Loose. I keep forgetting yeah. the name of that game. Um, and I feel like this being earlier would have a similar feel. And like, I feel like they've probably overtuned it to make it vibe more with what you would expect, even if technically so there, is, there would be more of a, uh, uh, accuracy in some of those guns in hell let loose. Here's a caveat though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in between, so world war one, pretty much every army fields bolt action rifles, because those are the best, most fast firing rifles that exist in the time, in the time period. Uh, and some armies like really start emphasizing uh, marksmanship uh, at this po- at this point, kind of needlessly as it turns out. But uh, by hell let loose time, you know, I think about like the M1 Garand. Uh, that's a, that's a semi-automatic rifle um, that 
you know, you're popping off multiple rounds. So maybe only the first one flies totally true. Mm -hmm. And even there, I'm not sure it was, it was as accurate as things like, uh, the, like Moisin Nagant, uh, rifle. And then everything else you're using in Hell Let Loose is obviously like, a submachine gun yeah, or like, their first attempts at building like assault rifles. Right. Yeah, exactly. And those things are really like, uh, just raise a hell of a clatter. Um, but don't necessarily like put rounds on target. And I will say when I was playing infantry who do use like the longest bolt action rifles in the game, uh, I had this feeling a lot more when I switched to like assault classes that are carrying like cut down carbine rifles. Mm. I did start to feel like I was getting slightly fewer of those like quick read, like flick shots than I was before, mm. um, which, which makes sense for, for something that's, uh, that's uh, like in the, in the carbine family. Uh, but it's, but it, it does still feel like it does change the, the vibe a little bit where like, so much of Hell Let Loose feels like it's about positioning with the with the, right. with the team and all that. Uh, whereas this feels like there's a little bit room, more room for the like, I'm just going <laughs> to RIP to the Italian army in 1914, <laughs> uh, 1915. Uh, I, I would I would simply clutch it out. Uh, <laughs> there's a bit of that DNA in this game. Huh, yeah. uh, something else, by the way, uh, there is also channeling a bit of the uh, battlefield uh random i did something real stupid i'm gonna tell you about in a second because this photo uh it's also channeling a bit of the battlefield uh five build fortifications in the field type thing uh because you can do that tons of places like the engineer class is running around smacking together sandbag walls and barbed wire to impede advance uh and so there's there's a ton of that happening as well where you can like as a team spends time in a good position, they will dig in deeper and deeper. It doesn't go as far as Battlefield Five, where <sighs> that thing sort of had modular strong points that, like, just if you keep investing time and building things up, there were like attach points where you build basically a fort hmm. uh, out of the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Here, it's just more like you know you can lay down a ring of uh, sandbags pretty easily. Uh, but what you can't do is like construct a like sandbag trench line out of nowhere. Mm. Uh, the game doesn't seem to let you do that, but but it's still kind of cool, you know, when you're when you're up there and you're helping out your team by uh, filling in the gaps between firing points with sandbags, and suddenly it's like, well, now everyone is just, like has access to this entire firing line right. without ever exposing themselves until they pop up to shoot. That's that's kind of cool. Um, is that a is that set to a specific class you said or just like can the engineer class is the one that has the okay. most uh, like construction abilities but rifles can riflemen can also do some stuff uh mm -hmm. like build up reload points uh and such um i think i think engineers might also be able to build up mg nests um mm -hmm. which are really cool if they're well positioned they can work but man they are bullet magnets like it is right. sometimes you'll have a sure. line of people in the trench next to the MG, just waiting for like the guy goes up. He gets like five seconds on the MG and like bang, dead. And everyone like waits three seconds. It's like they're probably not still aiming at the MG nest. Go on, give it a, give it a Get shot. In there, but somebody needs to work the MG because right. yeah. suppression is a huge thing in this game. That's one of the other things that I had to sort of adjust to is like if you're only waiting to like have eyes on target before shooting. 
you're kind of not doing what your team needs to be doing, uh, which is sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is I think somebody is probably behind that rocky outcrop and they're probably popping out and shooting occasionally. My job here is just to keep shooting at it. Right. I mean, like as someone like that is that's Valorant, baby. You got to pre-fire that angle. You're dealing with five people. If you take out one of them, you ruin their you ruin their chances of a push. Sometimes you just pre-fire the angle for a while yeah. uh, and someone will walk out right into it. Well, and suddenly you win the round. And in this game, like it's even more impactful because if somebody is like tucked around that corner, the shots whipping past the angle, if they're like in proximity, their vision will start to wobble and blur. And so they can't that like even if they now come out around that corner, they can't see shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they certainly can't aim. So like your job becomes just like rattle their cage a little bit. Ren, you posted a picture of this looks like Levi's Stadium. Yes, uh, I did. And yeah, so we're we're yeah, you're right. Like this is this is a wide angle lens. Uh, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so you, this is like probably mezzanine level, looking yeah. down across the field. And yeah, like the the opposite end zone, people are specs who are standing behind it. Yeah, like that's about 150 meters. If you fire a shot at with yeah. the with the muzzle velocities you're talking about at that distance, you're you're looking at like less than a tenth of a second, or like a, yeah. like a quarter of a second uh, before it hits. Um, which leads me to another point. I maybe made a mistake early on that I haven't corrected because I'm like, no, I thought shit. I, <laughs> I'm shit in this bed. Now I've got uh-huh. to lie in it. Yeah. Lie in it. yeah. Uh, when I loaded the game up, it's default field of view is like 60. It's like the fuck? 60? For me? No, 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 no. gamer? No. Rob I need, Yes, with my widescreen monitor? Excuse me. No. I need situational awareness. I need the slider maxed out at 90. And I was like, fuck it. 90. And so it is possible that everything feels considerably farther away <laughs> from me in this game than it is necessarily supposed to. It is possible that looking down the site... Uh-huh. Uh... At someone a hundred yards away mm. should not look like they're one pixel wide, but they do for me because I need that panoramic view uh, so oh that I can like, read and react to to what's what's happening. Oh no, <laughs> Rob! If it helps, if it helps, I am also the FOB of it, FOV bitch in a video. I feel like I become less accurate the lower my FOV is. Um, like the if, so when I've been playing a lot of Hunt Showdown recently with Gull, um, a lot of the sites in that game are real fucking big uh, or take Mm -hmm. up a lot of space on your screen. Yes. yes. And so in raising the FOV, I am able to more because people are smaller, but also so are the sites. The sites are closer to me, makes them smaller. And so I can more accurately line up shots because I'm not looking at a fucking three meter wide hunk of iron directly in my eyes, as opposed to like a thin little uh, sighting line. And so I don't know. I think that, I think that high FOV is usually, once you get used to it, um, is a benefit. I mean, Rob, you weren't here last week. I was talking about Hyperdemon. I play Hyperdemon with 180 degree FOV, baby. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking full 360 degree vision out here. Um, so I am, I am the little FOV freak. So I, I stand by you in your uh, wide angle 90 FOV life. My real question yeah. here is: Did you try it, or was that just a setting you saw and immediately changed? 
Oh, no, I, I started no, at not, 90. Which sorry, I was not asking oh. you. <laughs> Rob. Oh, I meant Rob. <laughs> we should take a break. We uh, here at Waypoint we are back. lifelong learners. Uh, and people are always saying this about the crew here at Waypoint. Um, oh. We approach situations with eyes wide open, with hearts ready to take on new information uh, and carry us into the into the next days. Well said. Uh, we'll be back after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Uh, Ryan, you've been playing a little game called Road Warden. I have. Uh, Road Warden is a... It is like a slightly more traditional, like, choose-your-own-adventure text-based game about being someone who goes to this, like, small patch of land um, outside of major cities in a, like, post-post-post-post-post-post-post-multiple-apocalypse fiction setting. Uh, we are we are so we are post so many apocalypses that the world is a special. Do you know kind all the apocalypses? What are, like what's happened? How, like what what is what's the stack? The most recent one was an empire collapsed under its own weight uh, and led to the fall of basically every single city therein. And now monsters uh, are so prevalent that even if you live in a major city, chances are that at night there is a very real possibility that a Saurian or some shit is going to crawl out of on out onto the pier and start fucking parading through your streets. Just gotta if they just had some invisible wasps, I think they could get yeah, like, deal that, with that. I would that agree. Clear that right up. It'll eat the <laughs> eggs. Um, well, here's the here. Actually, let me let me let me amend this. That's one of the ways the world can be because one of the things that Road Wardens does is it much like um, it, I think it pulls a lot from like modern tabletop role playing games. Um, characters ask you about the city you came from, and it's your job to answer them. Uh, and so if they say to you, "Hey," What is Havloven like right now? You can be like, oh, um, the people are eating well, blah, 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 blah. But the cool thing about it is um, it's almost Disco Elysium-esque in that every answer feels like it can coexist with the others. So the answer, oh, sometimes monsters come from the come from the pier in the middle of the night and then walk through the streets. You can also be like, I mean, there are some districts that are totally safe. And you are slightly adjusting the way you're framing things that kind of gives you an idea of what your character's perspective is and relationship to the city was over time. I think that every single line of dialogue that you say about the city can theoretically be true, uh, which is to say that, like, it is a world that 
feels deeply reflective of what it means to live in a place with like high income disparity uh, and to be constantly face to face with that fact uh, and how you frame it to people says a lot about who you interact with on your day to day basis. And when I looked up this when I looked up this game, the first response from one of the reviews was, uh, I really hope you like reading. Um, some games have text and then some games have text and the yeah. screenshots for this game are do you want to read a novel which is not the art also to, looks very pretty i yeah, love the, the way it's like you got the pain of oh illustration on the left hand side mm-hmm. and then the the central text but like the art that's there looks looks pretty evocative it is it is extremely evocative the art is really good the writing is i would say really great um it is a lot more restrained than you would think uh, for a game like this. I think a lot of games like this have the fall into the trap of leading into some pretty purple prose. Yes. This game does not. It is, I would say, extremely restrained. Uh, it almost have to be given how much you're reading, right? Like it would be there's a, like, I, no, <laughs> I would say I would say the people who are prone to like, uh, like writing extremely purple prose are actually probably as inclined as anyone to be verbose as hell. Oh, like they no. won't, like, okay. like some of them might have the poet's instinct to like say less and let the mind fill in, but some will be like, no, I'm just going to keep talking. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. This is, this is, this is luckily not one of those games. Um, it, I would say there's a couple lines here or there that will make me go, Oh, nice. Um, but it's writing is, is great in an understated way, which is very exciting for me. Cause it's like, there are some games like Disco Elysium where I think about lines from that game every single day without fail. I don't have a line like that from Road Warden yet because it's also telling a different kind of story, right? Yeah. Disco Elysium is a melodrama. Road Warden is not. It is the like real robot equivalent of, of fantasy, right? It is a dark fantasy world that is treating every single thing in it with the meticulous materiality of like someone making a historical drama uh a, 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 like a real like uh, uh you know what i mean well and you 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 saying that like the fact that there's some lines that you return to in disco elysium but like this game isn't i was th- i was thinking about this a little bit um hillary mantel just died uh the author of the uh, wolf hall trilogy about uh Henry VIII's like right hand man turned enemy, uh, Thomas Cromwell. But like I read, I would say Wolf Hall is like one of my favorite books of like the last decade, like an incredible, an incredible novel. And it hit me even as I was reading, I was like, I don't think there's a single line I would quote anyone from this book. Like, I don't like, I, I was like flipping back through, like, what have I highlighted? Which is like, usually I'm like, Hey, that's nice. I'm going to highlight yeah. that. Come back and look at that. It wasn't that kind of book yet. I, like it's, it's an incredible work. It has incredible prose, but there's no point where like it's necessarily like flashy in that way. It is just the steady accumulation of detail that like the work is the, the work is the whole. That's what sticks with you. That that not my impression that novel is indelible. And I think one reason the, my impression as a whole is indelible is because there's not passages that I get hung up on. Yeah. One of my favorite actual, one of my favorite moments reading recently, uh, broadly, was was a moment like that where I was reading a book on, uh, it's called uh, uh, Radical Yiddishland. It is about uh, the like, quote unquote, Yiddishland area of Europe uh, and the uh, leftist uh, organizing that happened there leading up to and through uh, the Holocaust. 
mm-hmm. and kind of what the long-term arc of Jewish radicalism has been in that particular region and, and with people who uh, survived the Holocaust. And so there's this paragraph in that book that I remember reading. I could not quote you a single line from it, but I read that paragraph and I stopped in my fucking tracks because I was like, this is the most efficient writing I have seen in years. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. And from time to time, that is how Road Wardens feels, where it is like, okay, cool, you are being efficient in a way that I am extremely, extremely impressed by. Um, so I'm looking at these screenshots, and there's, there's a couple yeah. questions I, I have just in terms of like how you approach the world yeah. and then what resources you're kind of husbanding uh, yeah. through, through this game. Um, like, what... <sighs> Because I'm sure there's a lot of things you can do in this game. Yes. But what are the ways that, like, you accumulate power or options uh, as as your character? So it is, again, pulling from a lot of uh, current tabletop role-playing game uh, trends, uh, deeply attached to what resources you have access to. Having objects, having things um, that you can, like, interface with the world through is how you accumulate like stability and power over time. Because let me put this, uh, like the game setting into context. You are a road warden. You are someone who comes from the city to this little patch of land to be someone who acts as a messenger between villages because going on the roads, even in the middle of the day is something that will get you fucking killed. Uh, like there will be things on the road that will murk you easily. Uh, even if we're talking about an hour long walk, between point A and point B. That is that is the level of like untamed, quote unquote, untamed wilderness we're looking at. Um, and so you have, uh, while well, you're playing this game, multiple resources to manage. Your health, the quality of your armor, uh, how uh, tidy your appearance is, because how tidy your appearance is is tied to how much people trust you. Um, if you are a spellcaster... Uh, what your um, spell situation is, and your hunger. And so these are the resources that really kind of drive what your character can do, the most basic resources that drive what you can do in a given moment, right? Do you have enough Numa, which is the game's like version of mana, which is an extreme understatement for how it fits in the setting, but do you have enough Numa to cast this spell in this specific situation? And also, do you have spell casting tools? Because not every character does. The warrior does not start with spellcasting tools. That is not a way that they know how to interface with the world through. The scholar starts with alchemical tools. No one else does. I don't know if you can even get them. And so there's this entire branch of the game that is about um, concocting potions and like doing Witcher-esque, can I enhance my abilities through potions stuff that you just don't have access to because you do not have the resource that lets you do it. Alternatively, you might be able to get more out of taking a bath because you happened to buy tooth cleaning supplies five hours ago at the beginning of the game, and you're like, okay, cool, I'm at this river, nothing here is going to kill me, I'm going to brush my teeth real quick because I feel fucking gross. Um, And so managing all of these things, in addition to how much money you have, which is hard to come by for a really long time, uh, is like kind of the engine that drives this game. Uh, in a way that I find uh, makes my brain feels good. Yeah, this looks this looks cool as hell. Um, I think I want to give this one a, a shot. This this looks uh, 
I'm rock. curious, like, how often are you on different tracks? Uh, like, like you, you, you talk about like having different classes uh, yes. that, that you play around with. Um, how how wide does it feel like the narrative uh, threads can can play out? I would say pretty wide because. I, the thing I didn't mention is what your character is there to do. This is revealed within like the first 30 seconds of the game. This is not yeah. a spoiler, I promise. Your character is there because the city wants to expand uh, and wants mm. to expand its its um, uh, in, like its zone of influence over the world, um, which in this setting is extremely dangerous because the more people fuck with nature, nature will hit back in uh, coordinated ways. Uh, there is these things called, um, uh, I forget what they're called. Uh, the, the term is slipping my mind, but basically if you cut down enough trees, things will happen to you. Like there will be a pack of wolves that just bursts out of the woods and starts tearing through your town and that escalates over time. So making headway into natural environments is extremely dangerous must be done gradually and must be done uh, in, in specific ways. And so the city wants to exert influences of control over this area. And so your job is to go in there officially. Your job is to go in there and start setting up trade routes. You are going in there to be like, hey, the city is going to be trying to exert its influence and we're all going to be really cool about it. Okay. And some people are like, yeah, sure, we'll be cool about it. And other people are like, no, we fucking will not. And it is your job in 40 days uh, or 30 days in the game's harder difficulty to go in there and try and prepare this area as well as you can before these people get here. Um, and they will come. Mm -hmm. That is the note. It's not like you can be like, don't come. They will. And so you can either choose to make it a really easy place for the city to colonize in this like in this way that feels very reminiscent of the kind of colonization that happens in Europe to other European nations. I think specifically about the colonization of Ireland. Uh, that feels like a the way this game talks about uh, pagan religions versus the organized faith feels uh, very, very much uh, certain colonization periods um, in, in, in Europe. Um, it is engaged and interested in those topics uh, and is interested in the ways in which um, both like material trade, but also um, environments and, and like material structures um, affect interpersonal relationships more than externalizing like people's feelings. Like you're not going to do, you're not going to get so angry that you do a spell better. That's not something that you're going to be able to do. Um, and in a way that feels like, really exciting and i can feel like i can already see the different directions in which the game can diverge i've already seen multiple quests yeah. where i was like oh this could have diverged wildly um and also the characters are well realized and so even when the outcome doesn't diverge significantly the writing you get and the and the tone you get does um in a way that i find like really exciting and like well done uh, Patrick, I want to turn to you now. Um, in terms of talking about like you know games about communities and and their quirks, you've been playing uh, Return to Monkey Island, uh, and I, I wasn't here Friday. I'm, I'm I'm curious, like what's your what's your history with Monkey Island? Uh, and because uh, this is this is not 
contiguous with where that series ended up right this is famously ron gilbert being like everything after me is not or a different canon uh we're going back to monkey island 2 yeah i don't know exactly how the i, I don't want to the game has a really interesting framing device that i don't want to spoil like they've sat on it for a reason and it's really interesting and and fun um when when you play the game especially if you have a history with it uh yeah my history with adventure games are like playing all of the lucas arts ones but for some reason not playing like monkey island one and two are just before like so yeah. it's like i come in in like the full throttle era right? right so it's like a little past monkey island one and two loom uh stuff like that but like um otherwise i was buying I bought Full Throttle on its own, but like sometimes you'd go and they'd have like those Lucas and Sierra would have them. It was like the discs that were like there here are six discs, yep. six CDs in here. And like, here's a bunch of games like that's I played a lot of like the original King's Field. So like I spent a lot of time playing adventure games and uh, quite liking them, although frequently being someone who just looked up solutions to things like that. I never it was rare that I clicked with like puzzle designers on the games, but I find the act of exploring and discovering and listening to clever writing to be really attractive. Uh, probably the most I vibed with what the reason I, I vibed the most, the LucasArts stuff um, in terms of like being able to be in sync with what a esoteric puzzle designer is trying to accomplish uh, as I, I, I pace every item on the screen and every other screen, hoping to uh, discover the solution. Sam and Max is probably the one that crystallized the genre to me, I probably played Sam Max Hit the Road like a dozen times when when I was a kid. Um, and that was also like one of those early games with voice acting that was like revelatory me, revelatory like th- like how transformative it could be for the personality of a game. Because frequently you could get those games on disc, no voice acting, and then you'd get the CD version and you'd have voice acting and the, and the games were, were much better for it. So uh, so that's kind of like the, the landscape of me and adventure games. And like this game is interesting because it comes, yes, after there's Monkey Island 1 and 2. What's the third one? Escape from Monkey Island, um, I think, which is actually the good one with the incredible animation. Uh, uh, that one I quite liked. I didn't play the 3D one that was on like PS2 and Xbox and GameCube, like uh, Monkey Island 4. I forget what it's actually called, but that one was not Curse of Monkey Island might be it. Um, and I think I played one or two two episodes of that original telltale like monkey island series and i thought it was charming but like whatever for whatever reason never like saw it all the way through i do think people quite liked what telltale uh, did with that but um i didn't see it uh, see it all the way uh, to the end and so i come to this one mostly curious like what does it mean for like a ron gilbert to return to a a series like this i think i'd mentioned uh on a previous podcast it might have been fridays where uh Oh, what's the game that he worked on just before this um, that he kickstarted? Um, uh, Thimbleweed, yes, did not like. I, I beat that game, but that was a game that I, I at no point was I able to vibe with the puzzle design. I was, I was looking up. And that was a pretty, like that was a pretty widely shared reaction, right? Like that was a game that was a widely unloved game. I think so. I, uh, I, I can't fully speak to that. I, I, I like it's been far enough that I've, I've forgotten. But I know that I liked the world and the characters. And hated everything about the interactions in it. <laughs> like I just and at a certain point, because I hit so many roadblocks with with I don't know what to do, I don't know what I should be doing, I don't even know what I should be poking around at. I sort of just gave up and like just loaded a walkthrough and was like, anytime I hit any obstacle mentally, I just didn't even have the energy to 
even try. It was like, I don't care. I'm just, I'm just going to look it up and then see where this story goes and, and, and get to, to get to the end of it. Um, and so this one is really interesting because it is, it is like running in the opposite direction. Um, um, it is a game that is well aware that there are hopefully going to be people playing this that are either new or, are old and cranky and like want to have the game a little more catered to them uh, and and not having to jump through the same hoops as uh, players. So there was a couple things that uh, it does really well. Like one, it has this thing called the scrapbook that like walks you through all the story events of the previous games in like a really clever and funny way. The writing here is like top notch, like laugh out loud funny. It's like, it's really, really well written. Um, and the other thing is that the game starts with a, uh, what they call a casual and a hard mode. And Essentially, the game's like, do you want us to just take out some of the shitty puzzles? <laughs> like, I would, like, I don't have the language in front of me, but it's like, it's very much like, hey, there's a way we used to design these games. Do you want to play a mode where we keep all those in, or would you just like not? And I was, I was, I raced, raced to not. I'm like, I don't. And I think it's like really healthy and interesting that the game recognizes that almost like the designers are going to be inclined to make those and that some players are just and they, that, that, that these designers have done this long enough they can almost identify those puzzles that are that are yeah. going to kind of like drive people either they find out through through the actual creation process or in focus testing that like oh shit we made one of those again all right put that take that out of casual mode put that feel, put that into hard mode i feel like um dave gilbert uh the adventure game designer uh behind like gemini rue and uh you know, unavowed and, and such like that. I, I remember, I think he sort of like famously been like, I make games that are a lot like the old, uh, like LucasArts or, or pixel art period point and click adventures with none of the hard puzzles. Cause nobody liked that. Or, or it's like, <laughs> not nobody liked it, but you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It was like, yeah. why did adventure games like start to struggle? It was people burned out on the puzzles well before they burned out on like the conceit of those games. Right. Um, I was constantly, I mean, yeah. like the, uh, I was so excited for the dig. It was like Steven Spielberg is like making a puzzle ge- is like making an adventure game with Lucas arts. Like, holy fucking shit. And then I played the dig and was like, that, that was about the era in which I was hitting a wall on wanting to play them. any. like, I didn't want to do the puzzles anymore. Or like, I didn't want to do the puzzles, how they were doing the puzzles, but I was always, br- I was always brought like the, the interaction, like the, like scouring a place, clicking on things, discovering like building out a world i always found that attractive it was just then when it became the time to drag an item over the seven interactable items on the screen one smart thing this game does you hit the tab button it shows you everything interactable on the screen every yes. little thing that you can touch and so Perfect. you can do the bit where it's like it's not like you walk in a room and it's all like heat maps but if you are i'm about to leave shit do you think i missed something like i feel like i've seen everything but i want to double check you hit tab Everything comes up um, and that's like a really nice, smart way where they can keep doing what is often fun in these games, which is that they are not quite hidden puzzle games. But it is the joy is like moving the cursor over things and seeing what highlights. Um, And that's part of the discovery process. And there's a lot of humor that is like embedded in the player discovering it that way. But then when it also is like, hey, like, I, I don't want to move to the next room without knowing I did everything in this room. Hit tab, you know, see which ones I haven't clicked on. And then I can, like, feel, like, more safe moving on to the next area. Mm-hmm. Um, And then the other thing the game does is has a, a, a an utterly brilliant hint system. 
Um, and so this is also the problem with games of this type. I have like fond memories of playing the uh, Tex Murphy adventure games. Mm-hmm. And I've told the story in years past, but uh, did not understand how one nine hundred numbers worked. Um, I, I just thought I'm calling to get a hint from a customer service agent on the other side of the line. What my parents discovered was like that costs like a dollar a minute or whatever to to call. Uh, and so I was banned from from calling to get uh, hints for the Tex Murphy uh, adventure games. Uh, and in here, it, it frequently when you're like in a puzzle game, especially or an adventure game, I don't want a solution. I want to like right. message a friend that's like, I don't really know what to do here. Can you sort of like reframe it or like nudge me in the right direction? And most walkthroughs by their very nature of like, I'm Googling thing, a thing, give me the answer are going to be straightforward. Um, you know, it, it makes sense. How else are you going to, you know, write something that's searchable? Um, what's here is like the game starts with the uh, being very gentle. It's like, hey, you're not here because you're stupid. You just need to be nudged. And so it's like it comes like the game. You hit the hint, the, the hint book. It opens up and in, in front of you are all the different paths that you've unlocked, like that you have to go do a thing like uh, like I needed to find a mop. I needed to be forgiven for not returning a book. I needed to do uh, find this recipe. Um, and so those are all listed here. And it's like, which one are you having trouble with? And so I this this one I, I clicked on just to kind of see how it worked was like, oh, I need to uh, uh, I need to be forgiven for for not returning this book. And it starts with, you know, ever increasingly more specific questions that try to reframe what's in front of you. And like really drags out giving you specifics, but it's still like helpful reframing of like the information you've already uh, taken in as the player. Because maybe maybe you've also forgotten. You're coming back to a puzzle and it's like, I don't right. really remember why I'm doing this. And the game like walks you through that and then like gets up to a very clear line of like, do you just want to know what it is? And then it'll tell you. But it gets you there. And so I I solved one of the solutions that involved being forgiven for not returning a book. And then I was like, well, I want to right before I actually turned in the item to like checklist the puzzle and move on. I was like, I want to read exactly how the game gets you there. And it's just really smart. Like it like it it, it essentially like just in a very gentle way helps you get there. And then if you just want to know the solution, you know, here it is. Um, and like that is so useful in a game in which I just want to keep making progress. And as soon as I hit friction, well, then I want to go to the hint system mm. and realize, am I not getting this because I don't even know what the question Right. Like oftentimes in adventure games, I don't know what the question the game is even asking of me. And like that's when having the solution or a hint is helpful because I might not, might not even be thinking about approaching the problem in the way that the designers are hoping that I'm thinking about it. Uh, and so that as like a meet you in the middle uh, sort of thing is it's just really useful and smart. And the other thing it does, uh, I didn't play the game over the weekend because I don't usually play don't have time to play games over the weekend. And when I came back, the game knew that and does a as part of its framing device, which I don't want to explain, but there's, it basically like has two characters in front of you. And it's like, Hey, do you remember what you've done so far? And then you can ask questions and the game will like set up the story and plot beats for you again, before you jump back into your, that's your really save. Smart. That's, um, that's very and you can cute. turn that off. It's, it's in the options menu. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we, how many of us have like gone back to an old game and like forgot the mechanics and like I've, I've begged on this, this podcast numbers of times where like, 
especially a big open world game, like just let me play the tutorial again. Like, just can I just do that again so I understand how th- all the buttons work? And this in a story game seems like that'd be more challenging to do, but they have found a really clever uh, solution to to arrive at that. And like I said, you can also turn it off if you just don't want want that part of it. And the other thing they have in the options menu is I didn't turn this on, but it's essentially like, do you want the director's cut of the script? Where she's like, and they they say they're like it's longer, it's messier, but it's got more stuff. Do you want that version? And like, you can just click that on and like get an extended version of the script that uh, you know they uh, they chop down for you know probably the right reasons. But they're like, I don't know if you just really like our writing. Here's more of it, um, and that's like buried in in one of the the text menus. And I just like, is it just it's really smart? Is do do you know if it's just like dialogue is longer? Or are there like different, like, are there other paths? Are there other, is it content? I don't or think just... the game is fundamentally different. My right. guess is just like, it's just a less tight script. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, as they went through the game and, you know, uh, made the, the script like feel better that like, you know, naturally stuff like that was, was, was taken out. And uh, it's just a really, it's a really clever self-aware thing that, you know, would be fun to flip on, especially if you were playing the game. Uh, so I don't know if you'd answer time. this without giving away some of the framing device. Uh, so feel free to just sort of ignore this question. But I haven't played these games in ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Escape, the, the the beautiful animated one we were talking yep. about. I think that was the last one I did play. But like, I couldn't really tell you what happened in Monkey Island Two. Doesn't matter. Okay. Not it is it, it the game. This game is clearly designed to reward people who have that history but at no point I'm, I'm with you like i i think i played the xbla monkey island one like when they yeah. put out those re-releases uh years back but i don't i still don't remember the specific plot piece and again like they do this really good scrapbook feature where it takes all of five minutes to have a bunch of like clever and fun dialogue explained to you the beats of one and two and i never played two i only played yeah. played one um and i don't feel like I've lost any context whatsoever. Um, like it feels as though it is both a fresh adventure for people who have just heard these games are good. Um, but also there are going to be small details that you pick up on as a fan that will be rewarding. But I think it's a totally easy game to just slip into even as your first one, because these games are not plot dependent. Man, I miss the era of the Bioware uh, recap uh, off offsite recap that lets you import your save. I mean, I, I, I do, I do miss that style of recapping. So it's good. It's glad I'm glad to hear that there is a thing to help chart people along. Yeah, it's just smart but, for games to recognize that players come back to them in different states. And to put some thought into like, what are the things to catch you up on? Uh, right. Depending on what you've been up to is, is, right. is really, really cool. Uh, that sounds awesome. I'm really glad, like, it's really fraught for some for like for an original creator like this mm-hmm. to return after all this time to like a beloved franchise that maybe in some ways looms larger in the imagination than it does like in in reality. <laughs> uh, and I'm really kind of thrilled that it sounds like it feels like it has not it lost worked. the beat. It, it, yeah. it like yeah, it really feels like this is a like a true Monkey Island three um, and and one that looks absolutely gorgeous. Like all the trailers and screenshots suggested to me that so it it. Uh, portrays as 2d but the world and characters are or at least the characters are modeled in 3d so there is depth to them that is really not apparent when watching a trailer or looking at screenshots they they they, you know like there's a flattening that happens in 
in viewing the game through that media. But then in the game itself, you can really see and feel the depth. Um, it's just a, it's a gorgeous art. It's totally, I'm glad they went somewhere different than just let's make more detailed pixel art. There's, there's certainly plenty of, uh, like that can work, but they really went for something different here and like nailed it. It's, it's just, it's a really fun experience. And now, now I'm excited. They're teasing that they're going to revisit Maniac Mansion, which is a game that I also didn't play because that was slightly before yeah, the era yeah. of, of Lucas stuff. But if they pulled this off, um, like I, I would imagine they'd be able to revisit Maniac Mansion uh, as well, which is, which is exciting. And also I just, I'm glad that Gilbert's making these types of games instead of, to death spank games just you know what that was a different you know what you know people were trying things and i'm just i'm just glad this is where we've ended up with with ron gilbert this is he's back home very comfortable and his his grumpy nature uh slots in well uh with what um him and uh dave grossman are uh are doing here do you want to take a little turn in the question bucket before we uh before we can we watch something before we the oh, last absolutely. of us trailer dropped yeah Yes. Can we watch that? Cause yeah, we uh, we should. Okay. Yes. Mm. Okay. Link Let me. me pull it up. That's that's caught up charging up our trailer energy. It'd be really funny. Okay. That'd be the wrong tone for this. <laughs> All right. Let me open this in a new tab. <coughs> oh, and that actress. Fucking, she was great in Game of Thrones. Hmm. Uh, we ready oh, to? Little, I, I, just, I also little, think she's the star Mormon of the new or whatever. Linda Dunham movie, isn't that true? I think she is. Maybe. All right, frame roll, fra- right. frame one. When on time that is? Oh, uh, we can just do three, two, one. Go, yeah, I'll just right? do three, two, okay, one. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Are we going on zero? It's three, two, one, go, Click. and go okay. on, go. Yeah. yeah. All, All right, right. Go, on, go on, I'm ready. All right, three, two, one, go. That's environmental art, Rob. That menacing folk rock. That's oh, that's oh, yeah. the last of us, baby. <laughs> I love I love that I love that there's the writing on the wall. Just like, you know, hey, keep that you gotta keep uh, keep it honest with the video game. The darkness is falling, the sky has turned gray, the hound in the distance is starting. This looks a lot like the game. <laughs> we should really watch Chernobyl, bro. I, I, I really want to. I, yes, that's, this is going to be my excuse to finally watch past the first episode. Damn, I need to watch Chernobyl. This is your chance. Oh, that shot. You keep her alive. And you said everything right. Oh, they didn't show very much, but it looks pretty good. Yeah, There's a lot of beats that are, uh, Rob, having just played that game, like, yeah. when I the car even... goes crashing through, it was like, wow, they, I, I mean... I, I didn't even do it when the remake happened. Like, I haven't played that game in a f- uh, many years at this uh-huh. point, and I was like, oh, I remember, yeah. I that, did not I expect that this one. to feel so shot for shot. 
it feels very like yeah they're pulling specific very specific shots just that, I mean, the look, game. that first game like we, we just we have that whole conversation yeah that game yeah. is narratively like those are solid bones absolutely the problem is i also don't feel like that is a game where I'm like, man, I wish there were a different format to enjoy this story. <laughs> like, I I might have liked something that felt a little bit more like a reimaginative like adaptation. Uh, it does make sense, though, that like this first teaser trailer is going to be a bunch of iconic sort of shots, though. So yeah, and but yeah, I, I think it, it is uh, as much as I loved Chernobyl and everything that did. I I have been low key worried that the involvement of Neil Druckmann uh, is going to not necessarily cap the create well maybe cap the creativity of the series because once you've so inter like made a chief creative of the original work intertwined naturally isn't that going to push it towards yeah being closer to one to one I I hope not I hope this is just like a, the nature of a teaser trailer but uh, I have a question as someone who hasn't played the original Last of Us or Last of Us Two. Um, do those games have like good cinematography? Yeah. Like, is it? Yeah. Do they, okay. Oh, absolutely. Okay, I yeah. wasn't. They, I wasn't sure because if like if they're gonna do shot for shot, I did not know if they would be adapting what would be totally mid shots in like a in like a film or you could were, like, do you could do so much worse than okay, like, got it, got it, got it. Like Last of Us is a big game, but even by big game standards, has been played by nobody. On like you know what I mean? Like in terms of like yeah. what the story's been exposed to, it is not going to shock me if this show is. Even if we look at this and go, wow, grown, it's like really they just took the video game and shot it. Yeah, yeah. And this ends up becoming like one of the biggest shows next year because it's a great story. Like that, like there's a whole good season in that first right. game. There, uh, <laughs> trouble when you thing. hit the second game. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like four seasons. Right. Uh, four seasons yeah. in a movie. <laughs> there's... Uh, a bit I remember from the commentary on I want I want to say it was Ratatouille, but uh, Brad Bird is talking about like an old rule they had at Pixar, which was that um, if you're sort of entrusted as the creative lead of a shot at Pixar back in those days, it was always like make whatever that shot is like something there has to be something interesting about it like do something interesting with it and so there are no like even like utilitarian shots that exist mostly to shut up set up a different shot where something more important happens or set up a, a more important story beat. Uh, you, you still got a, a team where people are trying to make every single frame kind of like have some interesting elements in it. I've often thought about when I, when I've often thought about that when I play naughty dog games where like they are like every single thing I see, I get the sense of like, well, somebody really smart and creative was like playing around with this little area or this mm. little moment, even if it's pretty humdrum. Right. It's like, right. yep, mm. I'm I'm scavenging through another, uh, you know, it's a it's a it was a bar. But then the apocalypse happened, a, a place that's completely throwaway in games like this. But like Naughty Dog, uh, generally, like always those spaces feel like they're uh, really immaculately like conceived and lit um and so i and i think that's kind of going to be a thing the show is up against which is it is hard, like it would i think it would be hard making a tv show or film that looks as good as uh the last <laughs> of us especially because like uh to invoke the weirdos in the places uh rule um you know naughty dog doesn't have to worry about that right. they you know they can they've got their they've got a really good mocap process and then they make they make games like this well in some ways you're like the being in real time versus having to recreate trying to recreate what naughty dog does in real time 
doing that with real sets. Yeah. CG. Like, I think they're going to be real moments where the game looks better because of what the game is attempting to like, what the game is accomplishing with what its intent is. And then that's where you start to worry about if you're spending so much time recreating what was. It's like, well, especially because that new remake that came out, that looks gorgeous. Uh, like, of course, that it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder to accomplish that in, re, you know, in in live action. Um, uh, and so that's why I would hope it, you know, it, it's going to have the same beats pr- probably, but that it spends its time lingering in other areas as yeah. opposed to just trying to do that one to one. But there's definitely like specifically uh, the yeah, the them going through that town with the fire exploding behind them. I remember that part, too, being like you're in the car, right? Like your point yep. of view is from. Uh, and you can spin the camera around, right? And like it wants yeah. to direct you towards certain things. So it's like it felt very then kind of not derivative, but like looking at like the famous children of men like in the car, like yes. yeah. camera thing. And so like now we've <laughs> come back full circle, baby. Now the thing is being referenced again in back in its original uh, medium. And I'm like curious how those things will feel played out in like the actual scenes, you know? Um you know, really, Children of Men is just going to school on Michael Mann's collateral. Uh, people ascribe too much credit to oh, yeah? our own uh, for that. Okay, I don't know, yeah? but, <laughs> but trying, there's, like, there's so other movies the that do a great job creating a sense of dynamism and energy in a car, Kato. Uh, <laughs> so let's uh, let's take a quick. You can uh, listen to the collateral dip. episode of Manhunting coming up this week, listener. <laughs> Uh, let's take a quick dip in the question bucket. Remember, you can send us all your questions uh, at gamingadvice.com with the subject line questions. Uh, so our first question. I have often thought about this game, but I've completely forgotten what it was called. Uh, and then who wrote this? Uh, this is Alberto writes in and I reminded me of a game. I've not thought about in ages. Uh, Hi, Waypoint team. As you'll soon notice, English is not my mother tongue, so please feel free to correct any grammar or misspelling in case you read this on the air. Thanks. Okay, when I was about 13, 14, 1995, a strange game fell in my hands, and after some trial and error, I made it run on my computer. It was a game called Transarctica with really sick uh, cover art. And I'm going to begin dropping some of the sick cover art into, uh, let's see, into the chat here. Yo, oh my god this looks fucking sick yeah what we have is like a uh giant double stack uh colossal like scale uh steam train like a locomotive that's the size of a passenger ship uh there's, some, there's a little bit of uh someone let hr geiger design a design a train in this in, in this train also, too this yeah, also looks a lot of the that. number nine in um grim fandango when it gets <laughs> uh when it goes bad um it adopted a series of novels called Arctic Barons, but how could I know that? Internet and abandonware sites were a decade in the future for me. It was a copy floppy, of course. Never saw the original game anywhere, uh, but you can't find it on some abandonware websites. The premise of the, the, the game was that of a fleet management sim, but with giant trains. Set in a world thrown in an ice age, but some hyper weapon of the past that covered the sky in permanent clouds. Think Snowpiercer, but giant steam locomotives roaming the world railroad network. Also, you and your officials have stolen the train you're in. The whole railroad army is chasing you. It's a bit FTL like uh, now that I think of it. Um, 
like this is the other things too like i remember uh, some of these screens where like your interface is like the drawing rooms of like a luxury train compartment um and so there's a lot of like yeah this this stuff uh that that you that you would say uh lots of cool oh uh, like pixel art characters uh anyway so you go from city to city, upgrading your train and getting some information that develops the main story of the game. Lignite coal is the main resource. It's your fuel and also the currency used for training, repairing and upgrading because you're gonna repair and upgrade your train after each battle. Battles are think of a fleet of line ships from the age of sail, exchanging cannon fire and assaulting the enemy ships and boarding actions that, but with moving trains running on parallel railroads, if you destroy the enemy locomotive, you win, you can destroy it with artillery fire, or if your soldiers run all the way over the top of the enemy train and plant charges, if you're victorious, you can claim the surviving enemy wagons uh, and the surviving soldiers become slaves that help you repair railroads or mine coal. Later on, you get mammoth cavalry and spy wagons to do basic counterintelligence operations or sabotage the roads behind you. Position of the wagons along the convoy greatly affects how efficient they are because they can only fire at what's in front of them. Uh, and your enemy has no problem blowing all your precious cargo wagons, your greenhouse, your barracks. You can change the distribution when you're in a city, but you are stuck uh, with with your distribution when you are traveling. That game left a mark so great on me. I never got to beat it. It was too difficult for me, but I loved it. I've been doing Transarctica adjacent fan art since then. I wrote some short stories. I modeled some giant trains when I was learning 3D. I even wrote the rules for a small battle card game where your cards are the wagons or the infantry units, etc., and played a few matches with a really patient and understanding friend. I've learned some logic in Game Engine simulating how I would do a giant fucking stream steam train battle I'd like uh, battle game I like to play. Question, have you or anyone on the team, uh, do you have a game that pushed you into fan art or adjacent-themed content? Uh, this one is sadly pretty obscure, but that's just me. I, I love trains. Uh... <laughs> On a sillier note, I love the Manhunting series. There's a Spanish podcast focused on Tom Tom Cruise's character uh, career. It's called, of course, Tom Cruising. Thanks for your work, and Alberto. Uh, so first of all, I remembered this game like vividly. I remember huh. these screenshots. Like I saw reviews of this, and I was like, "That looks cool as hell." And it's one of those games that completely faded from memory. Uh, I had completely forgotten where this what this was. Uh, so first of all, thank you for reminding me because this looks. So freaking this looks cool. so sick. This looks so fucking sick. I'm so mad they don't make them like this anymore. Yeah. God damn Love it. this. What is this? A dinosaur? <laughs> the little Loch Ness thing? The little Loch Ness. The little, little Nessie? Yeah. <laughs> make fun of my boy. There's a, there's, a, there's a big dinosaur and he's going, ah! ah. Yeah, it doesn't look scary ah. at all. It's more ah. just like, ah. Oh. Uh, but also, man, it looks cozy aboard that train. Uh, gosh, the, the oh to oh to lead my little my little steam train fleet uh, from my executive private car uh, with that appears to be like every spare surface is covered in like old wood or velvet. Love it. Uh, anyway, so anyone been pushed into fan art stuff uh, by a game they got obsessed with? I think my answer is going to surprise people greatly. I've never read fan fiction. Uh, or like, or like, gone down a fan rabbit hole, which feels out of character, uh, but but is true. That yeah. is surprising. Um, I 
fan art, fan fiction. See, nothing like I that. Like, I mean, like, you know, like, watching Lost was the clo- like, I can't, I can't, I wasn't watching fan art, but I was, you know, so keyed into a, like, going to, like, message boards, like, keying in with fans, looking mm-hmm. at screenshots, you know, uh, participating in, like, ARGs. Like, that's the closest I can get to, like, what is, what is, uh, the question here is sort of implying, like, <laughs> when does something sort of get, like, get under your skin to the point that you're going beyond the basic levels of, I'm a fan of this thing and then engaging with it to, I would like to make it part of my identity. Uh, <laughs> and so I, this Top is, Fantasy seven as a kid, like that was that, like I never wanted to leave that world. Like, why did I grind my characters level 99? Cause I just something to cause. do during the summer. Yeah. And I just, uh, I just, I just wanted to, um, uh, it's, uh, it's funny to me that you bring up ARGs there. Uh, because I, I was kind of the, opposite as far as like engagement in the property itself when i got really got into args i was like i really love you just wanted the args i really loved the form (laughs) of an arg it felt really cool to be part of like that community figuring out puzzles and i like i did the like tron one i did the one for like the dark knight uh i did the one for what else uh happened around that time there were a couple oh the one for battle that was the i didn't, i never played uh bio Bi- bioshock 2 but i f- religiously followed the arg for battle uh um battle uh bioshock 2 and have uh, a well, vinyl this was, this record was the era of the that. arg yeah exactly uh like they still obviously exist to some degree but like there was a stretch of years following the the isle of bees right that's the halo 2 one um yeah. that like really they just were everywhere, like and and like were a huge part of the promotion of all followed, sorts of followed off of stuff. the one they did one for AI. Remember that? Uh, yes, that was kind of the big one that set off that rush of ones. I Love Bees comes like right almost directly after, and I think from the same people, from the same like marketing uh, people. I think a lot of them for originally from that same <laughs> yeah, yes. team of creatives uh, was what was it? Forty two Studios, I think, was the name of them. That sounds right. Um. I remember picking up, the closest I got to is I picked up a payphone once to listen to something. Like, that's the, because I think it was at Comic-Con one year when (laughs) one of those was going down. I I was living in New York and a carload of me and my friends drove, uh, sorry, living in Baltimore and a carload of me and my friends drove up to both. We drove up to Philly and then also to New York for the Dark Knight one because they were like that rules. That was the closest thing that was, was going to fucking happen in Baltimore. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not where the the kind of city that people. Well, that was the choose. problem. With, that's why you like, the, but that made the fun of it where you could still participate right. on. It was like a little road Reddits trip. and other places, right? Yeah, or or just like you, then you become part of the puzzle community as right. opposed to necessarily right, right, right. doing totally. the physical interacting part, um, which was the neat part of of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. 42 Entertainment was the name. There we go. Rob, do you remember what was the what was the uh, of the EA game that is like a lot of the originators of this? Remember the EA oh, game that we would uh, call Majestic, you? Majestic. Majestic. Yes. yes. Like ARGs essentially, I think would owe a lot to a lot of the experimentation of Majestic. I never played Majestic, but have read about it uh, breathlessly. Um, but Majestic was what? That was a EA published adventure game that would had real life like character role players, right? Like yeah. you were calling people, they were leaving messages wow. on your voicemail. There was a fax machine interaction. There's Hell a lot yes. more to it that I'm, I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head. Humanity was, wasn't ready for it. 
It was not. Um, it was not ready for Majestic. <laughs> it would be so ready now, but well, especially um, like imagine. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, imagine um, how it's a change in like what you do with smartphones and stuff. Right. Right. Um, like I mean, this was this was literally like what uh, the Oxen Free Night School uh, did when they made their um, Mr. Robot uh, like mobile game, mm. uh, which was entirely like. Oh yeah, your 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 phone's messages now are getting stuff from uh, Darlene in Mister Robot, uh, right. and you, are, you we need you to social engineer uh, this this like uh, security officer at uh, Steel Mountain and shit. Which I mean, is, listen which to is this. As uh, Majestic was a science fiction thriller based on Majestic Twelve Shadow Government conspiracy theory. As an ARG, the game was played by phone, email. Wait for it. AOL Instant Messenger, BlackBerry <laughs> Messages, Facts, and by visiting special websites. Facts. Gameplay frequently involved the player receiving clues they would use to solve puzzles and unravel a story. All the messages were automated with limited dialogue options, but AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, provided some interactive conversations. An option to warn unsuspecting members in the same house. As, as an option to warn unsuspecting members in the same house, you could enable a warning at the beginning of each phone call and a small message at the top of all faxes. When the option was enabled, each phone call would begin with a woman saying, this is a phone call from the video game Majestic, before the regular pre-recorded message. Uh, some of the clues were videos featuring the game's cast. One of the more widely recognized actors was... Uh Joe... I love that it would say the video game Majestic. At this point, Joe we're the video game. Yes. Uh, Joey Pass? The episode was free to... The the, the pilot episode was free to try, but four remaining episodes required players to join EA.com's Platinum service, which cost nine ninety five at the time, which is a lot for July two thousand one. We Look, the world wasn't ready for this. It was not. Also, also, I need to point out the game took place in real time. I forgot about this element. Holy of it. shit! <laughs> the gameplay gaming took place in real time. If a character said they would contact the player the next time at a particular time, they would. The game was meant to be played casually. In order to keep a player from going through the game's entire content one day, progress was limited each day. Once a player had accomplished the goals for the day, they were placed on standby, in which no progress could be made until they were taken off standby. Wild. Wild. How much do I have to pay for people to try to kill me in real life? <laughs> <laughs> uh... You can just go to Halloween Horror Nights. Uh, the, the, yeah, this this was like right at the beginning, two thousand one. Right, that's, so this is that era. That's like, there's exactly something in the that era. era. Like, yeah, that's when the Beast happens, right? Isn't that movie from two thousand one? Fucking AI, artificial intelligence. Um, I think so. Yes, yes, yeah. That came out. So the marketing happened the year before, even. Um, but yeah, it was in the air. Like, wait, the Haley Joel Joel Osment. Thing? Yes, that is that is one of the like originators of the form like of yes, that the the marketing for that is like what can what a lot of people point to as like the first big successful like uh ARG. Like cuz ARGs kind of out of form existed in other ways where, that yeah. were like more centralized and more just about cool puzzles that people were making that were sol- being solved in community. Uh and then this was like the first time that was uh, made to marketing and really like pushed to like you're really a part of this this universe, this world, and then you How know, we, I love we got all of bees happened after that because like the beast was also was Microsoft. Microsoft developed the one for AI, mm. artificial intelligence, which then they go to do I I love bees, which is like you know a a huge classic in like the ARG timeline. Um, shit, we need I, to, we need to steer my turn to let us rewatch AI, a movie I 
did not I've understand never at the it. time. I was very young. <laughs> I did not respond to it well, but I feel like it's a movie that I would probably like a lot more upon rewatching. <laughs> Rob, is that what, do you agree with that assessment? I also they didn't. So there was like the I got to the en- like, I got to the ending with the aliens and <laughs> I was just like I don't know what's going on in this movie. I was like I'm sorry Spielberg, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I uh I don't know. I think there was also a, just a weird kind of like it was kind of peak Haley Joe Osment or Joel mm-hmm. Osment. Uh, and I was like, I don't need this much of this kid in my life. <laughs> I've heard that movie is like ripe for reappraisal. Some, some I will direct uh, my turn to AI at some point. I need, I need a reason to rewatch. The that. wheel will continue to, to turn and, and, and spin us through. Uh, oh, spe- speaking of as long as I have, as long as I got yeah. brought up, if you are, if you are a waypoint plus newsletter subscriber, you have a link to, for, to a poll where you can, uh, when's that? When am I going to have? Well, we're not going to record it until uh, next week. Sweet, so yeah. let's say you have till the end of Wednesday to uh, to submit uh, a uh, to pick from either uh, any of the submissions we have made. I'm not even going to say them here because you need to be a Waypoint Plus subscriber. Click that poll. Find out for yourself um, what, what you'd like us to to watch uh, next. Uh, obviously, that and if- podcast will eventually go to everyone, but the poll. We're kind of trying to limit to people who are in the sub community. And if you're subscribed to Waypoint Plus, but for some reason aren't getting the newsletters, you can send an email to, uh, I believe it's waypointplusadvice.com to get you, we can get you re, or just. It's faster to DM. DM. It's faster to DM me. <laughs> <laughs> you like send me a message because then I could just send a message to someone in Slack and they can fix it 30 seconds later. Yeah, because yeah. actually there are still, there are more people in the woodwork that if you unsubbed either because Vice spammed you with a newsletter you didn't want or you unsubbed and want to get back in, send me a message and I can, I can flip that back on for you in the back end. Question here from Jay, AKA Vogan poetry lover. Dear waypointers as a little kid, I enjoyed video games, but for years they were sort of a backup entertainment option. It wasn't until final fantasy nine, uh, that I got completely hooked on it. That video games went from a thing to do when it was raining outside and couldn't ride my bike or play basketball to the, only thing I wanted to do when I got home from school and burn all of my free time on. So my question for the crew is what video game ruined your lives? Oh, I, my answer here would be like, I have always been prone to, and still am like a little bit of prone to like a bit of fixation on games to the point where I'll just like play stuff past the point where it's fun because like there's some challenge I need to complete or uh, I just like see what I need to do, but I'm having trouble putting all the pieces together. And so that will just happen randomly uh, where I will like sort of marathon a game uh, well past the point where I'm, where I'm still digging it. Uh, This happened a few years ago with a game called kingdom, which is a really cool, beautiful um, like little like 2d strategy game. But also it consumed an entire weekend of mine and I really did not want it to. Uh, but the end game was just annoying enough and fussy enough that I always felt like I can just try that again and like get it, get it right this time. 12 um, hours later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like uh, that is that stuff that can absolutely happen. Um, but in terms of like. Like life trajectory altering. Um, that's a good question. I don't have once like I mean like when I, as I alluded to like the episode of the Final Fantasy like JRPGs had a tendency to especially in the summer like engulf my life where I would just stay up until I put the volume low enough 
stay up till four in the morning. And my parents would wonder, why is he sleeping till noon? Well, because I was playing <laughs> Breath of Fire till <laughs> 4.30 in the morning, unbeknownst to them. Um, but the, the story that actually comes to mind is about my mom, who, not a video game person whatsoever, except for a single video game, Tetris. Uh, and when I was younger, when we got uh, a Game Boy, uh, that she was got really, like, was frequently taking the Game Boy from us to go play herself um and eventually asked me to hide the game boy from her when i would go to school so they just put it somewhere in your room that i wouldn't be able to find because like once or twice she found that like would get us off to school this is like you know elementary school era uh and she would come back so i'll just play one or two rounds of tetris (laughs) and it would be like one in the afternoon like that kind of like time vanished for her and it stop being funny and she was like i really i really should not be playing that like i she just loses all sense of time and perspective so eventually started hiding that from her and also like we didn't have a ton of money at the time and like batteries are, are were are expensive and there are no rechargeables so like you rip through a game boys like four double a's or whatever it was <laughs> like that was a lot to, you know we wouldn't have a costco subscription on the costco existed back then so you couldn't let like, go buy 30 40 batteries and to piggyback on that when we got a super scope for the Super Nintendo, and one of the games on there was Blastrous, which was a version of Tetris instead where instead you were shooting the the the, the, the little pieces to rotate them around. Um, and there were some other mechanics about shooting that I, I forget that are lost to time. But what that thing took like big like D battery, like the big circle ones, like the ones that are like really heavy in your hand. And those were really expensive. And this, the Super Scope, much like a lot of uh, uh, devices at that time, did not have like, hey, you don't seem to be using me. I'm going to turn off. Like, we're cool. Like, it's just you left it on and it just kept draining power. And I, I came home from school one day to be chewed out because the Super Scope was dead and the batteries were chewed through. And I, I told my, I asked my mom, I was like, well, did you, did you play blastress today well i played it once did you turn the super scope off like oh i didn't know you had to turn it off (laughs) mom you did that you you and she's like oh okay you're gonna have to hide that too i was like okay i'm gonna hide (laughs) Hide the super scope incredible incredible by design it was the size of a bazooka well i would put it underneath the uh, we had a crawl space and no one liked going down there so i just would kind of shove it into the side of the crawl space it was so i didn't have to go into the crawl space to Mm -hmm. retrieve it i would just move the you know the opening away put my hand in hope there wasn't a spider and and bring it back out I guess Civ 2, uh, probably, if I think about, like, young enough exposure where it's like, uh-oh, things are happening to my brain uh, that I was not prepared for. Uh, Civilization 2 was probably that, where I was like, Civ 1 had been cool. A friend of mine was, like, was convinced, like, just try Civilization, you'll you'll dig it. And they were, they were right. I was like, Civilization's good. And this is right before Civ 2 came out. And Civ 2, I was like, this is all I want to do uh, with mm-hmm. my life forever. God, manuals are so game. big. I remember buying Civ 2, and like that thing had a novel like in the box. And that one that one escalated rapidly to like um sneaking into the the office to play it um late at night. Oh, your dad's uh, computer was like the computer. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. 
and that required like a lot of memorizing which floorboards creaked, etc. Um, uh-huh. You know, stopping the light under the door, uh, all that good stuff. Um, and then you know, a lot of playing hooky uh, to to get more time with that game. Uh, you know, can't can't be bothered with school. I've got I've got a whole education happening right here, folks. I was having trouble uh, coming up with one because I feel like I've been, you know, I got brought up on like an Atari. We had it a lot, but like it truly didn't. I I think it yeah, it truly didn't become that thing as was described in the uh, in the question until I think Pokemon was the one where I was like, now I'm. Now I'm hiding the Game Boy under the <laughs> the covers with the fucking flashlight because the Game Boy Color I had obviously was I had the first first run Game Boy Color the purple uh, translucent one that didn't have a backlight, uh, but uh, yeah that that game ruined me <laughs> a small little nine year old getting completely sucked in. I mean that it, it happened to a lot of people right with that mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you were at the right age, it just fucked you up. <laughs> I think that I'm I'm in an odd position here, and I think that actually, uh, as 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 time slowly marches forward, uh, there's going to be a lot of people in a similar position where I don't remember what the tipping point was. It kind of just always was. Yeah, you existed when video games were just normalized. Just, life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, around like there weren't like the emergence of video games as a medium. Uh, popularized happened to all of us when we were kids and then you you had the benefit of <laughs> it just being there right and like if i ask my half if if in 10 or 15 years i ask my half brother what was that for you he wouldn't be able to answer he wouldn't be able to answer because like he's four he was four years old and watching roblox videos on youtube right right like, so it is, like my kids in a minecraft class right now because the, it right. like games have normalized even further past what they were for you which is that now actually like right alongside cheerleading, you can also go to a Minecraft class yeah. where then your kid comes home and he's like, I know how to blow shit up with TNT. It's like, congratulations. Yeah. Um, so I don't have a, I don't have a, I'm trying to think there's like a game that I really got into at any point in my life. But again, I'm not the kind of person who like dumps hundreds of hours into a thing. Uh, I instead go uh, uh, shallow and wide. Uh, not, uh, not, uh, you know, small and deep uh i think we'll leave it there uh call it a call it a wrap on today's episode if you want more from waypoint you can follow us on twitter at waypoint facebook and youtube waypoint vice you can follow me on twitter at rob zachney uh ricardo where can people find you at a underscore cotto underscore appears patrick at patrick Klopik. ren you can find me on twitter at ren or raven you also go check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. Uh, be sure to read uh, Ren's piece on Gundam Evolution. Uh, we talked about that game a while ago on the pod, uh, but it sounds like it's coming together quite beautifully. Uh, and you should you should check out uh, Ren's write up on it. And thanks to Waypoint Plus, uh, I think you're going to get a chance to see me and Natalie uh, coming to grips with System Shock One and figuring out. Uh, what what waypoints you all need to be navigating to uh, to uh, 
you know, get a good get a good sample size of, of that game and what's, what's I just going downloading on that there. in Steam. I'm going to start playing that, too. Like, yeah. What is the OK? And that's fine. I don't need to do any anything funky like with the no, 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 no. The, the night the night dive, I think, uh, like the system shock enhanced. Uh, it's all plug and play. Um, you shouldn't have okay. to do anything. Uh, so we're going to be playing that uh, and be sure to check out our Fortnite Friday uh, from from last week in which we decisively proved uh, that I'm just I'm bringing the squad down uh, because <laughs> no. Uh, oh, no, it was oh, an accident. Patrick, Patrick, I got disconnected as we entered the end game and they won. Well, wow. Look, I mean, yeah. it was late enough that no, I, having look, a person I appreciate Otto. It's so it means a lot to me that you're <laughs> that you're doing this. I swear. But like, we would have won faster if you were there. That's that's the no, type of situation. No, Rob, truly, truly, I cannot fathom a situation in which you being there made it worse. No, nah, not at all. Not at all. We we that was a good. We played a good game that entire game, and you got dropped at a very unfortunate time. That's true. But that you were not. We, we, all, we did get very lucky that the circle kept narrowing on the floating uh, battleship <laughs> that we were using as our as our fortress uh, there there in the end game. It was great. Uh, coming up soon, we're also going to be we alluded to it earlier uh, this week on Manhunting. Uh, we're going to be doing collateral uh, and Austin Walker will will swing by and uh, chat about that movie with us as well. Uh, and. Let's see. Uh, are we doing sports this week? Probably not. I think we need to. We're going to give it a, a, a week. Uh, I mean, we'll see if, if, if you know, something inspires us. But I think uh, my guess is the cadence of it is going to be every other week. That would be my thought. <clears throat> yeah. Like to yeah. give a little more breathing room to. Agreed. Uh, and also they were so, so bad. Rob, I don't want to really is. It's a hard thing. Well, you and I need to talk. I didn't see it, but I was checking the stat line. It did not look, uh, did not look inspiring as, as MK put it this morning, uh, as, as we're taking the dog. Out. So I was furious. I stayed up to like 1130 watching Sunday night football and it was just a terrible game. Awful. And I was awful. just at, at like, we're, we're standing by the elevator and I was like, I'm so pissed that like I watched like three or four hours of football yesterday and all of it was shit. And she was like, well, now football's truly begun. Football season is truly yes. begun. You're I, mad I, that you, you're I mad hated that you before the football. end of. I spent all year waiting for the season to begin, and I wanted to be done at the end of September. That's yep. the true football experience. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, so keep an eye out for collateral. Uh, keep an eye out for that newsletter with the uh, with the poll, and we'll be doing next on my turn. Uh, we'll be heading back to uh, Sportsland soon. If that sounds good. If you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. Uh, if you want uh, some sweet merch, go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy things like posters or uh, like the glassware that I've seen Ren having a refreshing uh, drink of water from uh, throughout the show. Uh, Ren does it. Does it hit different when it's out of the adventure? Oh, it's just so crisp. I take I take a big sippy and I go, ooh, wow, I have, this feels blessed by a wizard. See? <laughs> that could be you. WaypointGeneralStore.com Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. For now, we're calling time on this Tuesday. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 